says that weeks before we prepare for that because it's an important uh, occasion. Uh, and so for Advent, we, we read these stories in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the different gospel accounts. Uh, and, you know, Mary, you know, is conceived by the Holy Spirit, gives birth to the Savior of the world, and it's all happy-go-lucky, and it's amazing. Uh, but what we don't understand is that if we really dig into the first century, uh, the time that this was written, into the reality of Jesus' life, we see that there's two dimensions of this Advent story. And yes, the first dimension is, yes, it's happy-go-lucky, it's amazing, it's beautiful, the Savior is born, Emmanuel, God with us, but there's also a second dimension, it kind of reminds me of Wizard of Oz, one of my favorite shows of all time, where there's the show Wizard of Oz, where it's about journeying, it's about hope, it's about friendship, it's about redemption, and it's a great story, but... We all know, or do you know, that there's also a second perspective of the Wizard of Oz called Wicked, right? It's one of my favorite shows, and it gives a different perspective of the story of the Wizard of Oz through the lens and the experience of the Wicked Witch. Uh, And not to make that Wicked comparison, uh, but there is a dark side to Advent, And so if you're a note taker, uh, this is where I went a little bit rogue, you can write down the bullet points right now. Uh, The first point we'll talk about is Advent, and we're going to talk about it real talk. We're going to talk real. The second is Advent, uh, isolation, and gender. And thirdly, Advent and Emmanuel. And here's what the Lord says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 21. The word of the Lord says this. Now, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, so essentially before they got married, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. We thank you that... Even in this Advent season, in your anticipation, you speak truths to us, even difficult truths that we need to hear today, right now. And we thank you that your story includes us, and we honor and we celebrate you, and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen. Again, this lens that Matthew speaks of exposes the Advent story's dark side. And so, just so you know, there's four different accounts of the gospel. The gospel means the good news uh, of Jesus, the story of Jesus' life, told by four different people, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, Same story, different experiences. And so we're looking at uh, Matthew's experience uh, this morning. Uh, And you have to understand, as we talk about Advent, the reality of Advent, remember, this is the first century, And we're talking about Mary, who was most likely an early teenager. She was probably 13 years old, given the task to bear the child that will become king and savior and messiah of the world. Can you imagine that? 
13 years old. Not only was she a young 13-year-old, but it says uh, in Matthew chapter 1, before she was married. So before she left the house, she was still living with her mother and father during that time. She was still a child, essentially. And you have to understand the role of women during this time of the first century. As a daughter, she was seen as property. She was the property of the father until she became married, and then she'd become the, essentially be seen as the property of her husband. But before the transition happened from uh, being the daughter uh, of the father and then to the, to the wife, before that transaction happened, she got pregnant with the Savior of the world. And, but you have to understand that uh, as she's pregnant, or as she was told she would be pregnant, a lot of ideas and, and fear probably span around her mind because you have to understand, again, the context of what's happening. See, in the first century, this is a very shame and honor culture. And not only would she uh, feel shame upon herself for having a baby out of wedlock, it would be shame for her whole entire family. I mean, can, can you imagine the, the stories that she would have to share with people? I mean, do you think the public would actually believe her? I, I mean, she's, she's not married yet, and yet she's pregnant. She's just engaged. And, and of course, her community, her neighborhood, her friends would say, man, there's uh, something different about you. Yeah, they would realize that soon enough that she's pregnant without being married. And in this first century culture, that was a very shameful thing to do. Like, Mary, how could you let this happen? And could you imagine Mary's response? Oh, I know this looks strange. I know, I know what you're thinking, but what you're thinking is not true. Uh, it was actually by the Holy Spirit. I mean, can you imagine? Like, do you think the, the community or the, the public would say, oh, okay, well, that makes sense now. All right, let's go. No, they would not believe her. And then you have to understand uh, Joseph. You know, and Joseph, in the text here says Joseph was a righteous man. And so Joseph decided to leave her quietly. See, my understanding of the scripture, and this is a common belief, that Joseph also didn't believe her. I mean, I mean, could you imagine? Yeah, okay, now the public doesn't believe her because, I mean, who would believe that story? And then now you're going to your fiancé and telling your fiancé, look, I'm pregnant. I mean, Joseph is no dummy. Joseph is saying, well, wait a minute. Um, this is, how can this be? I mean, that's an awkward conversation, right? And, and then Mary's saying, oh, Joseph, don't, don't worry. You know, it wasn't me. You know, it wasn't infidelity. It wasn't this. It, it was the Holy Spirit. I mean, that, that's a tough conversation. And not only was this aspect shameful, but it was actually illegal. And what was the punishment for having a child out of wedlock? It was, it was a capital offense. In Deuteronomy chapter 22, it says this, If, however, the charge is true and no proof of the young woman's virginity can be found, she shall be brought to the door of her father's house, and there the men of her town shall stone her to death. See, Joseph knew that the, the consequence for this would have been her death. And, and by the way, it says, however, if the charge is true, the, the context is if, if a man and woman get married, 
And the woman claims that she is a virgin, but then while in their marriage, somehow the man figures out that she wasn't a virgin or accuses her of lying, then she'd be stoned to death if that charge is true of the man. So you can see this, this culture where it was a very patriarchal culture, much in favor of the men, especially, you know, in ancient Israel. Things have obviously changed now. Uh, well, changed more uh, than the first century and even ancient Israel. Uh, but it was illegal. And so that's why Joseph said, that's why it says Joseph was a righteous man. Although Joseph didn't believe her, Joseph decided to leave her quietly so she would not be disgraced by the community and so she would not be killed for her offense. I mean, there's a dark side to Advent. Here's what uh, the same text says in Matthew chapter 1, the message version. It says, the birth of Jesus, so message is a, is a translation that's it's a bit more paraphrased by Eugene Peterson. Uh, it says, the birth of Jesus took place like this. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. Before they came to the marriage bed, Joseph discovered she was pregnant. It was by the Holy Spirit, but he didn't know that. Joseph humiliated, but noble, determined to take care of things quietly so Mary would not be disgraced. See, he was righteous, it says. He was noble because he knew what was going to happen. He knew the fate of Mary He didn't believe her. The culture, the society didn't believe her. And the dark side is this. Here is Mary, a woman who is called to give birth and be the mother of the Savior of the world, is speaking on behalf of herself, is speaking about her own experience, is speaking about her own body, and it seems like nobody believes her. Or trusts her. Or has stock in what she has to say about her own experience and her own body. Does this sound familiar? Over 2,000 years later today, we're finally addressing this. Social media, thank God for it for many ways. We had the, the Me Too hashtag where women were able to talk about their experience with full vulnerability, exposing and bringing to light the serious issue that our culture has that's actually been an issue for thousands and thousands of years. Time Magazine, Person of the Year 2017, with the silence breakers, the women that were brave enough to speak out about their bodies, about their experience. And so many stories now with accountability. And many people will ask, well, why didn't you speak up? And it breaks my heart to hear women over and over saying, well, nobody would have believed me. Or because it was, it was my fault. Because when women oftentimes share their story, their experience about abuse, about assault, about rape, whatever it is. Uh, oftentimes, and this drives me nuts, the responsive question is, well, well, what were you doing? 
Well, what were you, what were you wearing? Or, or were you drinking? And let me tell you, friends, those questions are absolutely irrelevant. And if you, let me just say this, if you think that this is a feminist or political agenda, I humbly submit to you that that would be a very costly mistake. If you narrow this down to a feminist or political agenda, that will be a costly mistake to yourself, to your relationships, and to this community, and really to this church. See, psychologists have this word called gaslighting. And according to Dr. Gottman, one of the leading relationship marriage professional therapists, experts in the world, says that gaslighting is one of the most toxic things you can do to any relationship. And gaslighting is this. Oh, you're crazy. Oh, you're just exaggerating. Oh, quit being sort of dramatic. Oh, that didn't happen. Oh, are you sure? That's gaslighting. And we all probably have done that. I'm guilty of that. Dr. Gottman says that is the, one of the most leading things that leads to breakup, to divorce, to pain, to hurt, to separation. It's crazy how 2,000 years later, and we're still often dealing with issues that have been happening for centuries. When I first started staff here at Bethany West Seattle, uh, I was having coffee, one-on-one coffees with, uh, with the staff, and... Um, one of the, the coffee meetings I had was with our former uh, family ministry director, Sarah, and I had full permission to, to share this story. But we were sitting at a, at a coffee shop, and we were just talking, and there was this man who was walking past us to the bathroom, and as I was talking, I saw that she was a little distracted, and she looked, and she, kind of, she really did have this weird, like, disgusted look. I was like, did I say something? Like, what, what's going on? And, and she, you know, politely said, that man right there. I said, yeah, what about him? He just looked at me in a, in a really creepy way. And, and I have to say, I, I have to be really honest, at that moment, the, these things, exactly the things that I'm talking about went through my mind. I was thinking, well, okay, that guy probably thinks you're pretty, or the guy, you know, notices your scar. Whatever it is, you know, no harm, no foul. He's just using the restroom, and, you know, he'll be done. And I have to admit, like, and I fessed up, fessed, this, fessed up to her about this mentality that I had. I said, all right, well, let's just continue. I kind of just disregarded that. And then as he was coming back out of the bathroom, I kind of looked over, and he did it again. And, and I saw it. And, and so many things were rushing in my mind because, A, Yes, he had a very disgusting look, and I, I cannot blame her for feeling just sick to her stomach, because I did too, and I was so angry. And I was angry for a, a lot of reasons. I, I was angry because that was disgusting. I was angry at myself for not believing what Sarah was saying. I was angry with myself because I had to be very vulnerable to myself and say, have I ever been that guy? And the point is this, Uh, the point is, man, that must have been a very lonely place for Sarah. And that probably wasn't an isolated incident. What a lonely place to be. 
And, and we can expand this to, to other areas in our lives that just doesn't have to do with women and gender issues, although the Advent story is very much tied to women and gender, uh, gender problems that they had in the first century. Let's not forget that. Let's not look right past this passage. It's there, so we have to talk about it. But have you ever felt lonely? Maybe you can resonate with, with an experience Sarah had. And if you're a woman, I can almost guarantee that majority of you have had this experience. It's a lonely, lonely place to be. And again, regardless of your gender, have you ever felt lonely? Have you ever felt isolated? Mary, the mother of Jesus, has. Jesus himself have, has felt lonely and isolated before. In the garden, when he said, friends, can't you just stay up with me and pray with me? Do you know what's about to happen? Let me tell you what's about to happen. And they say, you know what, Jesus? I'd rather take a little nap. Paul, the writer of majority of the New Testament, knows what it feels like to be lonely. I mean, he was persecuted for his beliefs by his own friends. He was arrested by his own colleagues, former colleagues. I mean, if you've ever felt lonely or isolated in your life, the good news today about Advent is that hope breaks through. I had a cup of I had coffee with a dear friend of mine uh, about three weeks ago. And he's one of those guys where I, I love him to death and I'm slightly jealous of his life. You guys ever have those friends? I feel like we all do. Uh, and maybe it's just the things that he posts on social media. You know, social media is kind of like a highlight reel of everyone's life. Uh, it's all the good things. You know, he has a, he has a wonderful wife who I've known, uh, got to know well. He has two beautiful, you know, girls. Uh, they travel all the time uh, to exotic places. Uh, and, and it just feels like, man, you, you got it. Like, good for you. Good job. Uh, you're living a great life, and, and you can't help but just be envious of that. And we had coffee the other day. We're just catching up on life. We haven't talked in months, uh, except for through social media, which isn't real communication. FY Side note, FYI, posting something on social media is not, oh, yeah, we hung out today. Very different. Uh, and so I reached out to him. We had coffee. And yes, we were talking about the excitements of life, and then out of nowhere, out of nowhere, he was saying, Prince, but you don't understand, like, I've been feeling really lonely lately. I've been feeling really lonely. In back of my mind, I'm like, how are you feeling lonely? Like, you got everything made. You have all the people that you love, you know, and they're there, and how, how are you lonely? And he started talking about some, some personal stuff, and, but the point is this. Nobody is exempt from this universal condition of loneliness. Nobody. Whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're dead, whether you're engaged, it doesn't matter who you have relation with, whether what job you have, or either how much money you have. Nobody is exempt from this universal condition that we call loneliness. And the beauty of the Advent story that we see is the word Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Advent is all about Emmanuel which means God with us, God with you, God with me, God with our church. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, it says this, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, 
and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This means you are not alone. God is with you, and hope breaks through in your loneliness, in your isolation. And that's the beauty of why we celebrate Adam. That's the beauty of the risen Jesus. Is that out of all the world religions, the main world religions, Christianity is the only one that offers a God that is personal, that came into the world to be among us and to experience all the things that we have experienced, that we will experience, that we're experiencing even this morning today. And there's something so special and unique about that relationship of empathy. You know, and I say this over and over again, Brene Brown, one of my favorite writers, she says some of the most powerful, the two most powerful words you can say to somebody are the words, me too. Those are the two most powerful words you can say to somebody. And Jesus is saying, me too. You felt lonely, me too. You felt betrayed, me too. You felt uh, isolated, me too. You felt abandoned, you felt alone, me too. May we remember that as we go into Advent, Emmanuel, God with us. May we choose Emmanuel, God, because it's a choice. I love where it says in Luke chapter, 30, uh, chapter 138, it says, Then Mary said, after the angel said, here's what's going to happen to your body, here's what's going to happen. Mary said, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed her. And if we're looking at that, that verse, we have to look at that verse exactly the way that we look at other verses. We really have to put it under a microscope. Because I have to ask, well, wait a minute. If we're talking about nobody believing Mary and Mary speaking of her own experience and her own body, well, the Holy Spirit just says, it's going to happen. Well, it doesn't just happen. We have to understand this is powerful, you guys. This is really important when Mary says, here am I. I mean, the, I guess this is a little bit of eisegesis or a little bit of, uh, of assuming that, that she may have had a choice. And, and I would actually assert that she did. By the way that Mary responded, here in my other translation says, yes, I will do it as my God says. Or, or you know, it's this whole different variations of a yes, yes, I will. Mary chooses for that experience to happen, to allow Emmanuel to become true, uh, and not in only in her life, but ours and in, in, in generations and generations to come. God with us. And nothing can separate that. Nothing. In Romans chapter 35, or 8, 35, it says, Who can and will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? The answer is no. Emmanuel with you. Emmanuel with me. And there's absolutely nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Will you choose that this week? Will you choose that forevermore, that you will say, Emmanuel, God with me? I mean, it's a choice that we have to say every day of our lives. Emmanuel, not just on Christmas. There's other parts of the country, this may sound weird, but there's other parts of the country that sing what we deem as Christmas carols or worship Christmas songs that people sing all throughout the year, and it's not strange. It's because we, they celebrate the birth, in, 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 the birth of Jesus every week, not just in December, not just in the wintertime. 
I mean, Jesus was probably not even born in the wintertime. What are we doing? Sorry if that rocks your faith, but... God with you. God with me. In this Advent, that changes everything. So are you lonely? Mary was lonely. Jesus felt lonely. Paul. All, I would say almost everyone in the Bible has felt lonely at some point. And the hope for you, no matter who you are, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you've done, Paul says, what can separate us? Hardship, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? No, nothing. May we find hope in that. And as I invite the worship team back up, I want to, give, I want to bring us to a time of, of response. Is there a place in your life where you feel lonely, isolated? I mean, I, as I was thinking about Mary, I couldn't help but, but to weep. I mean, how, I mean, can you imagine a 13-year-old girl going through what she's going through and nobody believing her? Not even her own fiancé, at least at the time. Not even the community probably not even her own family. In, in, in my, if, I'm, if I can assume a little bit, just understanding the biblical nature, uh, her family probably didn't believe her. Her dad probably didn't. Not only did they not believe her, but probably was shameful. And the response was, what? Oh, you didn't do anything? You, it was just the Holy Spirit? Right. I mean, again, it doesn't matter what gender you are. It doesn't matter what experiences you've been through, whether it's something similar to this or not. Have you felt abandoned or just alone? Remember Advent. Emmanuel. God with you. And we light the Advent candles for the third week. Last week was peace. This week, joy. May we find joy. May we, and when we respond, maybe you sing, maybe you pray, maybe you just look at the candle of joy. Because God God, thank you so much for who you are. And you meet us in all aspects of life. Particularly this one during Advent, as we anticipate your coming. Some of us are experiencing loneliness, isolation, abandonment. Thank you 